The title of this uh, sermon series is Simply Christmas. And we are going to be looking at uh, Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at three three words, uh, one over the next uh, three Sundays. Uh, and this morning we're going to be looking at God, what that means. Next week the word servant. And then the third week will be the word mind. You find all these in that text, and uh, those are extremely important words. Now, before I get there, uh, I want to mention that in Galatians chapter 4, you know, the Bible says that uh, when the fullness of time had come, at just the right time, God sent his one and only son. And that was 2,000 years ago. And I'm so grateful that it happened 2,000 years ago rather than today. I don't know if you've seen a, a, a picture uh, across the Internet these days, but uh, it's a hipster's nativity scene. And uh, had Jesus come today, this might be what the nativity scene would have looked like. And my, wouldn't there have been a lot of distractions no, we would have all been on our phones, and uh, we would have missed the, the birth, birth of Christ. But, uh, yeah, thankfully, the, the Jesus' coming was in, in the fullness of time, and that happened 2,000 years ago. And we'll be referring back to uh, Galatians chapter 4 at the conclusion of our service. But if you have your Bibles, let's look at Philippians chapter 2. Lynn, do you still have it on your iPad? Okay, Lynn got a new iPad, and she was wanting to figure out how to use her Bible application. So she's she's at the right spot. You're welcome. It's never too late to learn, is it? Okay, well, we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 11. Paul says this to the Philippian church. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This morning, I want to look at Jesus being God. Because the Bible is absolutely clear that Jesus is God. He left heaven's throne. He left the glory of heaven and emptied himself. He he took on flesh. He became one of us. And yet he didn't lose his deity. His deity was veiled 
But when he was on the earth, he was 100% man and 100% God. And it's really important, church, that as Christians, that we believe this doctrinal truth. It is, it's critical to our Christian faith. Because if, if Jesus isn't God, we're still all hopelessly lost in our sin. Jesus could not have been the perfect sacrifice. Jesus would have been a liar. He was deceived, or he, uh, he duped us. The Bible is clear that Jesus is God. And, and the church, the early church, settled this debate, this non-negotiable debate, in the 4th and 5th centuries. But even before that, Paul and the apostles made it absolutely clear who Jesus is. And so, but in the fourth and fifth century, some councils got together, and there were several councils that talked about the, the deity and the humanity of Christ. And they came up with what, what they all agreed upon was the Nicene Creed. And this is what the Nicene Creed says. And there's been a, a, a few variations since then, but this is the, uh, the 320 uh, in, in 328 BC, this is what they decided. It says this, We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all the worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made, who for us men and for salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made a man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of the Father and he shall come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. Believing in Jesus as God is critical to Orthodox Christianity. And Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, he says, At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God gave Jesus the highest name, Yahweh. He is Lord. And there's no mistaking this because when, when, when Paul, um, paraphrases, uh, this passage in Philippians chapter 2, he's, he's speaking about Isaiah chapter 45. If you have your Bibles, or it's in your outline this morning, Isaiah chapter 45, verses 
22 and 23 says this. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah now. He says, Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone forth from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. This is God speaking and this is what God ascribes to his son uh, following the resurrection and his ascension. The name Yahweh. And so it's important, and we'll be looking at this more this morning, that we believe, that we know that Jesus is God. Now the question I want to answer this morning is, why did God uh, have to become man? Why did he come here? I mean, he could have just stayed in heaven and used his, his, his prophets and the peop- men that he called to declare himself. But no, God left heaven and came here to be with us. Why? There's two answers to that question. The first is this. To be the final sacrificial lamb. To be the final sacrificial lamb. You know, we we were all in trouble. The Bible describes all of us as sinners. We've all blown it. And for people who have blown it, done the wrong thing, not accidentally, but on purpose, for people who have done the wrong thing, it requires consequences, and we understand that from an early age. And we are uh, we, we teach our children to do the right thing, and when they misbehave, there are consequences that occur. Well, the Bible says that when we when we fail God, there are consequences as well. One must be punished, and for the Bible, it describes punishment. Uh, what the, what the um, as 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 people um, that God has created because of our sin that that requires death because God hates sin and sin separates man from God and God can't look on sin and sin must be punished. And for all of us, we have fallen short of the glory, the glory of God. And we are all hopelessly lost. We cannot save ourselves. But then God provided an opportunity uh, to be restored, to show grace and mercy. And if you go back to the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 13, or chapter 3, there are some events that occur in the Old Testament that are pointing us to the promise that is yet to come. And if you go to Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve were the 
first two people that God created that blew it, that didn't do what God had told them to do. They couldn't avoid the tree of good and evil. And so there were consequences. And when they partook of the fruit and they were able to discern between good and evil and they looked at themselves and they looked at the naked, their, their own nakedness, they were ashamed. And they hid from God. And in Genesis chapter 3, God who was used to coming uh, uh, into the garden uh, in the morning and evening to fellowship with Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve was, were nowhere to be found. God knew exactly where they were, but, God, but they were hiding themselves from the Lord. God knew what they had done. But in the, the midst of their, their, their shame and their guilt, God provided mercy. God showed His grace. He knew that they were embarrassed, that they were guilty. And so the Bible says that God clothed them. And He clothed them with the skin of an animal. And what that means is something innocent had to die in order for the the shame and the guilt of Adam and Eve to be covered. And through the, the clothing of Adam and Eve, we see the mercy and grace of God. Now, there were consequences for their sin. They had to be removed from the garden. But God made a promise in Genesis chapter 13. He told Eve that from your offspring is going to come one that's going to bruise and ultimately crush the head of the serpent. Now, for Eve, she probably was thinking, well, that's going to be my first child that God gives us. And it didn't happen that way. It, it took millenniums for God to fulfill that promise. But God made a promise in Genesis chapter 3 that he was going to provide a way to cover the guilt and the shame of man's wrongdoing. This was the first shadow, the first promise of what, how, what God was going to do to rectify the mistake and the mistakes that we make. You go to Exodus chapter, chapters 11 and 12. Uh, Israel is now in Egypt and they've been in bondage. Uh, they've been in Egypt for 400 years and, and they're slaves to the Egyptians. And their lives are miserable. And uh, God calls a man named Moses, who's going to be the leader of uh, Israel and lead them out from bondage from the Egyptians. You might think that, that Moses is the hero. Moses isn't the hero. The hero in this story is the lamb. God sent all these different plagues. There were nine plagues, and and, uh, Pharaoh did not change his mind, and so there was one last plague. And in this plague, uh, Moses told Pharaoh that that all the firstborn of Egypt is going to die, not only of man, but of all the animals 
as well. There is going to be, uh, God himself is going to pass through the land and all firstborn are going to die. But for Israel, there would be protection. There would be covering. And each family was to take an unblemished one-year-old lamb, enough a, a, a lamb large enough not only for their family, but if it required more people to uh, to share in that uh, that lamb, that they were to invite others um, from uh, from Israel, from their neighborhood, to partake in this this supper. And when they slaughtered the lamb. They were to take the blood of the lamb and put it over the doorposts of the home. The blood of the lamb. And if the blood was over the doorpost of the lamb, of, of, of the, the home, then when the death angel, when God himself passed through the land, he would pass over that home that was covered in the blood of the lamb. And God's people would be rescued. They would be delivered. They would be set free. This is a picture of the promise that is yet to come. And it's a beautiful story in the book of Exodus that's told over and over and over again. God tells Israel never to forget what I did in Egypt. And annually, you are to celebrate the Passover. Why? Because it's a picture of God's deliverance. It's the gospel story of the Old Testament. It's only the blood that can cover our sin. And it is a picture of a promise that is yet to come. It's only the shedding of blood that can forgive us of our sins. And so we have Exodus chapter 11 and 12. We can go to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there to Isaiah chapter 9. This is 700 years before, um, before the Messiah is born. And in verse 6 it says, For to us a child is born... For to, for to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. God promises in Isaiah chapter 9 that he is going to give us a son. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. He is going to be God himself. And in Isaiah chapter 53, uh, it gives in great detail what is going to happen to uh, this servant Messiah, this servant son of God. And it goes into um, a description, a detailed description of the crucifixion. But let me just read a little bit of Isaiah chapter 53, beginning with verse 3. 
He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, and he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him, the chastisement that brought us peace. This Messiah, the Son of God, is going to take our punishment upon himself that we might experience peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All, what, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to, slot, to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth." Boy, that sounds so much like what happened in the Gospels. So detailed that some people thought that this was written after the crucifixion of Christ. But when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls several decades ago, and opened up and looked at those scrolls, here was Isaiah chapter 53, and it was written before Jesus came on the scene. And so this is prophetic. This is, this, this is very descriptive. And this is what Isaiah says is going to happen to the Messiah. Verse 9, And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth, and yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. Look at verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. We're the sin- sinners. He's the righteous one. And when it came to the cross, when it came to him being sacrificed, We switched places. He gave us the seat of righteousness and he took the seat of a sinner and took our punishment upon himself. Verse 12, the last part of verse 12 says, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Jesus, this servant Messiah, would be the lamb that would take away the sin of the people and deliver them. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it talks about uh, this Messiah being not born in a place of influence, a, 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 a place of privilege. No, it was going to be in a very humble place called Bethlehem. From Bethlehem would come forth the ruler of the people. 
And so, from the Old Testament, the Old Testament totally sets up Jesus to be the sacrificial lamb. Jesus is our everything. He is our Passover lamb. And he is who the prophets anticipated and everything is fulfilled in Christ. The Old Testament is all about Jesus and God's promise and what God is going to to do. And John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, who was going to prepare the way for the Messiah, John knew this. And when John saw Jesus for the very first time in John chapter 1, verse 29, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist knew that Jesus was the Lamb of God. Behold, the exclamation point of all the Old Testament is here right now among us. Beginning with God's promise in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God has fulfilled them all. And that's why Paul can say in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, he says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of all prophecy, of all God's promises. He is the final sacrifice that covers all of our shame. It is His blood that covers the door of our heart that allows, enables God to pass over our sin for that, so that we might be delivered. Christ is our ultimate deliverance. Christ is our righteousness. And as we go to the New Testament, John the Baptist understood this. All the disciples understood this. Uh, Paul, the apostle, understood this. There was no doubt who Jesus is. John 1, 1 and verse 14 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Jesus is God. Jesus isn't just a parenthesis between the Old Testament and the New Testament letters, and we have these wonderful stories about Jesus in the Gospels. No. Jesus is all the Bible. The Old Testament points to Jesus, and following the resurrection, the letters point back to who Jesus is and why He came. And the first reason why God came to planet Earth to live and dwell among us so that He could become the final and perfect sacrifice. 
Where you see all the sacrifices in the Old Testament, they were just temporary. They wouldn't cover man's sin forever and ever. They had to annually re-sacrifice, go back to the altar and remind themselves it's only through the shedding of blood that one sin can be forgiven. But all those sacrifices that you see in the book of Leviticus, all that blood that flows in that book and in other places of the Old Testament all point to the ultimate sacrifice that God would make for us. So why did God come? To be that final sacrifice. But the second reason why God became man is this. Because he wanted to show you and I just how crazy in love he is for every one of you. God's not mad at you this morning. God's mad about you. You consume his mind. He is crazy in love for you, in love with you. And Jesus left the security and safety and the glory of heaven to walk among us to go through the stuff that every one of us go through. To understand what it's like to be us, to be you. Because he loved you. And when we believe that Jesus is the perfect sacrificial lamb, and when we believe by faith that he died for you and me, and we give our lives wholeheartedly unto him. He forgives us of our sin. He gives us his inheritance. He calls us his child. We become sons and daughters of God. If you're not a Jew, then the Bible says that you're the adopted child of God. You know, the gospel first came to the Jews. The, the Israel uh, are, is, the, is the children of God by faith. But then there are Gentiles. And J- Jesus just didn't come for the Jew, but he came to save the Gentile as well. And as Gentiles, as we believe that Christ died for us, we become his child, and we become the adopted child of God. I don't know about you, if you've seen this uh, TV show, This Is Us. Uh, this has become my my favorite TV show this fall. And uh, it's, a, it's a story about a, a, a family, a, a couple who had triplets, but one of the, um, one of the triplets died um, at birth. And, uh, and in their grief... Um, there so happened to be a, a, another child that was dropped off at the hospital. I think it was abandoned. It was sent to the to the uh, fire fire department. The fire department brought the baby in, 
and uh, was a black baby. And in, in their grief and wanting to replace the one that they'd lost, they adopted this child. And so it's a, a story about these children uh, growing up. And uh, Randall is the adopted child. And as, uh, as you watch the storyline, Randall was always curious about um, his, his background and who his adoptive, adoptive par- or who his real parents might, might be. And he had never met his parents. And every time he, he met a black person or a black family, he, he wondered, could this be my mom or my dad? And, uh, and so he struggled with his identity. And, uh, and dad understood this. Uh, dad, dad didn't, um, discount his feelings and, uh, he, dad wanted Randall to, um, have an appreciation from where, for where he came from and sometimes he didn't feel like he was enough to his son. And, uh, but dad wanted to let Randall know that he would always be his dad. Even though he was a different color, he was his son just as much as his brother and sister were his kids. His, his son and daughter were his, his children. And so there's a scene from last week's show that I want to I play right now that describes um, how Jack felt about Randall. Let's, let's watch this, this scene. What are we here to build, boys? Body, spirit, community! The three pillars. Now, before we begin, we have a new member to initiate today. Randall, come over here. Fathers. Randall, how old are you, son? Nine. Nine years old. Fine age. Do you think you have a good life? Yeah. I think so. Good. Good. I hope you always have a good life. But as you get older, you might start to find that things get harder. The world isn't always a kind place. Especially for men like us. Take a look at the people on this map. We are your community. When things get hard, we are going to be the ones who hold each other up. As Randall's father, you are his foundation. Come lie down, as if you're going to do a push-up. Randall, climb on your father's back. Jack, your back was built to carry your son through life. Are you willing to hold him up no matter what comes his way? Yes. Show Good. Now keep going. Are you willing to raise this young boy into a strong man? Yes. Are you willing to push him to be the best man in the world he can be? Yes. I cannot lose my son. I can't. 
never let that happen. I would never let that happen, okay? Okay? I promise. We need to be enough for him. We need to be enough for him. Are you willing to lift him to greater heights, even if it hurts? Yes. No, you can stop. All right. I think that's enough. The whole show. Dear William, I'm sorry for the pain it may cause, but you cannot meet Randall. This is for the best for him because he has Let's go ahead and do an extraordinary father who gives movie. him everything. Go ahead and bring life back on, Steve. this morning and you're thinking to yourself, man, wish I had a dad like that. My dad wasn't that to me. And maybe he wasn't. But you still have a dad who is far better and superior to Jack on that video clip. Your dad is your heavenly father. And when you believe just how crazy God is in love with you, that he came to planet Earth, he gave up everything and humbled himself, became the lowest of low, and died for you so that you wouldn't have to spend eternity apart from him. He took your sin upon himself, took the punishment so that you could have his righteousness. When you believe this, not just knowing it, it can't be a head knowledge. It's got to come from the heart. You realize that God did this for you. And you believe and you surrender your life to him. You become God's adopted child. Remember I talked about Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 beginning. In the fullness of time Christ came. Look at verse 6 of chapter 4 of Galatians. Because you are his sons... God sent the spirit of his son into your heart into our hearts the spirit who calls out abba father you know what abba means in the greek daddy christ the god of the universe is your daddy and he can do far more than 10 pushups with you on his back. He never sleeps and he never gets tired and he promises that he's always going to be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. That is your daddy. And maybe you're sitting here and you're still saying to yourself, well, how can I know that for sure? 
How can I know that Jesus is God? How can I know that he died for my sin? How can I know that I can become and be his adopted child? And the answer is the resurrection. Had it not been for the resurrection, all these promises of the Bible would be for naught. God would be a liar. But because of the resurrection, we can know that whatever God has said is true. Because of the resurrection, it transformed the apostles' lives. Before Jesus was crucified, they were all scared and they all ran. But when they saw the living Lord Jesus, they never ran again. In fact, the Bible's, the history tells us that they all died a martyr's death, but one. John, who died in prison. Going back to Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Verse 9 says, Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus has the highest name, Yahweh, God. His name is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, the Bible says, every knee is going to bow. In heaven, on earth, under the earth, every knee is going to bow. It's going to bow in one of two ways. One will be willingly bow. Are you willingly, are you willingly going to bow the knee today? I bowed the knee when I was eight years old. I understood these things. I understood what God did for me. And I knew that if I were to die without Him in my life, having surrendered my life to Him, I would be separated from Him for all eternity. And at eight years old, I gave my life to Christ. I didn't become a perfect person. But you know, God kept me from a lot of things that were destroying my friends' lives. And now I'm not here to brag about me. I'm here to brag about the grace of God who spared me from those things. And God wants you to willingly bow your knee now. Because if you don't willingly bow the knee now, down the road you will undeniably 
bow the knee at his return. And you will confess him as Lord. But at that point, it will be too late. God wants you to voluntarily make that decision today. And my friend, when, when you make that decision... God changes your heart and your life. Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. You can have a little bit of heaven right now. You're not going to have all of it, but in having a little bit of heaven means that you know that God is with you. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Your shepherd is right by your side. You can know him. And folks, when we give our life to Jesus, that doesn't mean that life suddenly becomes perfect and we never have any more problems ever again. That is a lie. You are always going to have issues where you need to trust God. But I want you to think about this for a moment. Paul is writing these words. Paul knows who Jesus is. He's convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt. He's encouraging the church at Philippi to know this about Jesus. Where is Paul when he's writing these words? He's in a Roman jail. And even though he's in a Roman prison, his faith is just as strong as if he were on the outside free. Looked at the book of John just a moment ago. John the Baptist, uh, uh, when John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I mean, John's faith was strong at that point. But later on in the gospel, John's in prison. And he sends some of his disciples to question Jesus. Uh, And the question is, are you the Messiah or should we be looking for somebody else? Here is God's spokesman. He, here is the man who prepared the way for the Messiah. And now he's in, in, in prison and he's doubting. Jesus said, tell John the, the blind see, the people are healed, people are set free. Yes, I'm the Messiah. And when the, his disciples left, Jesus affirmed John the Baptist and said, there has never been a person who's lived that has had greater faith than John the Baptist. In the midst of his doubt. That's crazy. But you know what the difference was between John the Baptist at that moment and the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians? the resurrection. Paul had seen the entire picture. Paul had seen the story. 
John was on the other side of the resurrection. He didn't get to see it. He was beheaded. But John was still a follower of Christ. It's the resurrection that makes all the difference in the world. And you can trust. You can trust your daddy. God came as man to be that perfect and final sacrifice. And God came as man to show you how crazy he is about you dying for your sin. Are you willing to bow the knee and ask Christ to become your Lord and your Savior? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this um, this profound and yet simple gospel. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. God, it's what you have already done for us in Christ. And you just ask us to believe. Lord, if there's one here today who has not made that decision. And God, they know the answer is clear, the decision that they need to make. Lord, I pray today would be the day of their salvation. If I'm praying for you right now, if I'm describing you and you need to cross that, that threshold of faith, giving your heart and your life to Christ, you pray this simple prayer after me. Father, today I believe that you died for my sin. That you became the lamb that was slain, that took the punishment that I deserved. God, I believe that your blood covers my sin. And by faith this morning, I trust you. Now, God, I don't understand it all, but help me now to live for you and grow in your grace and your knowledge and your love that you have for me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you're here this morning and if you made that decision, a miracle just took place.